Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, November 29th, 2021. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. Honestly, actually, I wasn't sure that you would be here today. We Me are, neither. <laughs> we are clearly going to have a somewhat different Today on Broadway episode than we had originally thought we would. For Monday, there is obviously other bits of news that I had saved throughout um, the weekend, especially a star of a major national tour who got arrested for dressing like Michael Jackson at the January 6th insurrection. Yeah, wild. Yeah, we will talk about all of those things. That seems um, like uh, three weeks ago at this point. Yes, correct. We will talk about all of that stuff on tomorrow's episode. But obviously today we're going to be focusing on the passing of, you know, I think for anybody listening to this, probably the undisputed greatest artist in musical theater history, at least in terms of writing, Stephen Joshua Sondheim, who passed just a few days ago at the age of 91. Um, if you've been listening to Broadway Radio over the weekend, you know that we kind of preempted some of our original coverage. I'd originally planned on having an interview with James Harkness in the feed on Saturday. We postponed mm-hmm. that so that James and Peter Felicia could have about a half an hour conversation about Peter's remembrances and interactions with Mr. Sondheim. Um, and then on this week on Broadway, because Peter was out of town, um, James was joined by Jenna Tessa Fox and Michael Portantier. And what was interesting about that episode, uh, Ashley, is mm. that at one point, Michael had been writing a book, um, I think about... Uh, just Sondheim's, yeah, in general, but he actually interviewed Sondheim about, um, I believe the Johnny Depp movie version of Sweeney Todd. And the book eventually got canceled by the publisher, but that interview had never been heard before. So Michael played that, um, about eight ish minutes of that interview, hmm. uh, in the episode. And they obviously talked about, um, James, Peter, Michael obviously talked about their thoughts. Uh, about Stephen Sondheim and his impact as well. Um, so make sure that you listen to both of those. And we're going to do things a little differently. We will do some of the news and the stuff that has happened around Sondheim's mm-hmm. passing. Um, Ashley, I know you're not 100% ready to ar- mm. clear, clearly <laughs> articulate your thoughts, uh, but we will definitely try to uh, get through this as much as we can. But um, as I mentioned, as I'm sure... Every single person um, listening to this uh, already knows that Sondheim died um, at his home in Roxbury, Connecticut on Friday morning. He was 91. Um, his death was officially announced by his lawyer and friend. Um, and almost instantly, with everybody kind of focused around the holidays and not having to work, the tributes poured in um, immediately, and we will get into those. But in terms of like the official Sondheim shows that were running in New York, that really put both Oof, Company and yeah. Assassins um, in some difficult spots. Um, but both of those shows did make some sort of, of statements and reacted to that. In fact, at a preview performance of Marion L or of, of Company, Marion Elliott came out and did a curtain speech in which she eventually raised the curtain uh, that says Company on it and the entire company um, was there to collectively uh, kind of share their grief with the audience. Um, Patty Lapone um, eventually spoke for the company afterwards saying, quote, all of us on this stage, cast, musicians, crew, dedicate tonight and going forward our entire run to Stephen Sondheim. Um, both of these shows had performances just, uh, you know, hours after um, the news was heard. 
um, uh, John Doyle, who directed the Classic Stage Company production um, of Assassin, said, quote, he would be curious if you sat here sadly tonight. I would ask you to sit back to luxuriate in his extraordinary words and music. Um, you know, mm. Ashley, I'm sure you saw the video of Marion Elliott's yes. speech and, and everything that happened there. What were your thoughts about um, the, their, the company of companies reaction um, and how they shared that with the audience on Friday night? Oh, God. I mean, exactly what I would expect. Um, and very similar to what we saw at first preview of them all coming out on stage. And uh, he was there in the audience and Patty kind of had <laughs> Patty was obviously a little bit more emotional in this case, but she was emotional in first preview as well. So you know that most of the people on that stage, um, if not all of them, have gone into theater in some way, at least in part, to Sondheim and all of his work, and they're standing up on that stage doing his work. So there's obviously a very deep level of appreciation that we can't even begin to touch on. No, absolutely not. And the the tributes continue to pour in. Uh, it was announced very quickly that all of the lights in the West End will dim tonight, Monday night, um, in honor of Sondheim at 7 p.m. Uh, London time. And then very quickly, Eric Bergen, recently of Waitress on Broadway, organized a sing-along to the yeah, song Sunday that happened. Yeah, that happened in Times Square. Um, with just basically every Broadway person currently in a show and mm -hmm. then tons more. It was led by Bergen, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Josh Groban, Brian Stokes Mitchell, and dozen other, dozens of others. They sang through the song Sunday twice. Um, and some folks read actually from, um, you know, the, the finishing the hat book of lyrics, um, and read through some mm. of the lyrics. There's about a 10 minute video that I will put in the show notes if you want to watch that. Um, that is, is really nice for those of us that weren't able to be there to be able to share in that experience. Um, because like you said, actually, so many people got into theater. So many of these folks, um, first fell in love with theater because of Into the Woods or Sunday or even yeah. Sweeney Todd. And even more of them probably have had the opportunity to work with Sondheim or on Sondheim's shows throughout their, their careers. But it did make me wonder, actually, we've, mm. no one is surprised that you are a devoted Sondheim, um, holic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, but I, I don't know that I've ever heard the story of, of why or oh, how. Um, I know you're going to, you know, give me the emotion, the, 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 the version that's not going to make you emo so emotional that you can't finish oh, the show, but good fucking luck. <laughs> yeah. Well, give me the, give me the cliff notes then. Um, well, first of all, early, not as early as a lot of people, but early sixth grade general music. Um, I had a very wonderful and generous music teacher who showed us into the woods, including act two, which doesn't always happen. A lot of middle schools and high schools will not show or perform act two, which I've only recently learned. And it makes me laugh every time when I find that out, because it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, in fact, the only thing he didn't show us was the wolf scene for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, makes sense. yeah. Um, and that, that teacher is actually in the hospital right now from long COVID. So my grief is a little compounded right now. Um, but yeah, that was pretty much history for me. We watched it and then I rented it 
on VHS from the library and I rented it again and I rented it again and I rented it again <laughs> and I probably occupied a good year's worth of uh, the checkout for that. It was my favorite for a long time and then I fell in love with other musicals from there. Um, the next Sondheim being Sweeney. Um, musicals were kind of on the back shelf for a while in my life. I wasn't like catapulted into this obsession for musical theater beyond like a childhood love for Annie, which I've talked about on the show before and into the woods and a couple others. Um, just because I grew up in rural New York in a lower middle class family. And really the money we had for me to do things was spent on me to be in music and performance. Um, I, I was just, a weird queer teen girl in the middle of nowhere and felt less lonely um, with his music in my life. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it wasn't really until college again where it became like a significant part of my life. I met my dearest friend who is very, very into theater because she grew up like an hour and a half outside of New York. So she's been to shows her whole life. Um, and those doors reopened. Um I was actually supposed to interview Sondheim in 2011, and that fell through and never happened at any point. Um, and I've obviously been in a lot of rooms with him since, but it's just been kind of a snowball of discovery and curiosity and more curiosity. There was never, <laughs> this is never supposed to be my career. I was going to school to be a war journalist. <laughs> and then I guess the deeper I got involved and the more it's, st I started to focus on Sondheim's work specifically. It's stuck. I, I think I've always considered myself less of a theater journalist and more just an arts journalist with a historian track specifically centered on Sondheim. Hmm. That's, uh, uh, a really interesting way to look at that. And I didn't know some of those stories. So thank you for sharing. But you were not the only person to share your feelings about Sondheim. I have multiple articles from, you know, social roundups to um, stuff from the LA Times to things where Lynn Monroe, Miranda and others talked uh, specifically about their interactions with Sondheim, um, basically from every corner of the mm -hmm. entertainment and especially theatrical world. We will have those links uh, in the show notes. But what I was really kind of touched by, Ashley, is that so many people in journalism and the entertainment journalism, um, one, it's their job, but it, you know, sometime past the day after Thanksgiving, <laughs> probably people had a lot of other things that they were supposed to be doing or not doing. And there was just a deluge of, um, of pieces, uh, that people put out, um, immediately. And I want to talk about some of them, but I will have mm -hmm. a link to even more of them, um, in the show notes. And my list is by no means exhaustive. There are many others that I didn't put on there just for the fact that I didn't want to make it a list of like 700 things. But the first one that I do want to talk about is actually an interview that was done with Sandra time last week um and it was done with um, michael paulson from the new york times and it you know just concluded you know days before and it's it's a really interesting um look into sondheim's life he talks about him having been lucky to having lived the life that he's lived um talking about you know everything that is you know still happening in his life with the film version of of uh, west side story coming out 
um, with Company on Broadway, Assassins Off Broadway. He also talks about um, collaborating on the new show Square One with David Ives and Joe Mantello. Um, also mentions Buñuel, um, but <laughs> yeah. also also drops in the fact that, and I'm going to read this verbatim. Also, Mr. Sondheim revealed New York Theater Workshop is hoping to stage an off-Broadway revival of yeah. Your Roll Along, yeah. for which he wrote music and lyrics, directed by Maria Friedman, who has previously directed well-received productions in London and Boston. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did that not star Raul Esparza in Boston? Uh, I feel like not it. Not a hundred percent. I know he's obviously done one before, but I can't remember if that's the same yeah, one. Yeah, which one it was? Yeah. So there was that one um, that's really good. Um, Amy Weiss Meyer, who is the deputy managing editor of the Atlantic, wrote one that I thought was really appropriate. What Stephen Sondheim knew about endings. Um, then Mark Harris had a um, really nice one in Vulture, which is no surprise, called the measureless uh, the measureless omnipresent influence of Stephen Sondheim. There was um, a really interesting one, um, an opinion piece from Scott Simon from Weekend Edition on NPR where you can listen to the two-minute little clip um, of it, but also it's accompanied by uh, by the written piece as well. Um, and then Frank Rich, who is an old friend um, of Stephen Sondheim's, uh, has a piece for, for New York Magazine, uh, The Sondheim Puzzle, A Lifetime Making Sense of the Extraordinary Songwriter as Young Fan critic and enemy, and by now, old friend. Um, there's also pieces in uh, Slate, um, which I will link to, and one by Jesse Green in the New York Times. But actually, I know you at least read the Mark Harris piece in Vulture. What did you think of, uh, of that one? Well, first of all, the Mark Harris one, from what I read, he was asked to do it either last year or earlier this year. So he's had a lot of time to think about it, which is good because it's such a huge undertaking, obviously. Um, I'm very impressed by everybody who had the words so quickly and the same day and the day after. Um, I, as I told you, I haven't been able to read anything yet except for the Mark piece, which I read and immediately it was like, okay, that's, that's one for now. I'll come back to the rest later. But yeah, it was a beautiful piece. Mark is always a beautiful writer. Um, and uh, it touched on everything you could really imagine. Um, and also still not enough, which is kind of the problem, I guess. Yeah, so many people on social media were talking about the fact that it's kind of appropriate that Sondheim gave us all the words to deal with loss that us musical theater fans um, kind of cling to in in personal times. But when the loss is actually him, it becomes kind of gets to the point where you don't know what to say other than to quote him back at himself. Right, which is what I've been thinking a lot about over the weekend. First of all, the Maria Friedman Huntington production starred Mark Umbers, um, Mm. Eden Espinoza, and Damien Humbly. Gotcha. I remembered Eden as well, but I figured she's probably going to be with Limpika at the time, but uh, who knows? Yeah. So, kind of the thing, so, you know, talking about how I haven't been able to really look at these pieces. Um, It's obviously been a very difficult weekend for me and for all of us. I, like I said, I read Mark's piece and I have saved everything else to come back to at a future point. Um, 
I haven't even really been able to touch music or videos or anything. I've been really drawn to a couple, though, mainly like the Lapine Weidman video of him gifting the theater renaming for his 80th mm-hmm. birthday. And I watched the Patty interview on Sunday morning, which we'll talk about in a bit. Yeah. And I watched his move on performance. Um, but otherwise, I've kind of just been reflecting. Um, it's morbid, but you don't really have a 91-year-old idol without preparing for their death in some way prior to the event, Uh, considering I've lost my other idol at the ripe age of 61 just a few years ago. It's kind of always in the back of my head. But I mean, like you said, the most prevalent thing we saw on Friday and what we've seen all weekend is people quoting his own words as they go through cycles of grief. And there's this idea that he left us with everything he needed. I'm obviously really glad to have all that. I'm just not at the point yet. Um, But the way I've been grieving really is just looking at his legacy and his influence and his style. I've spent a lot of time the past few days thinking about really the 1970s and especially since companies up right now again and, but that impossible to replicate period of company and follies and night music and sweeney todd and then you have pacific overtures and even the frogs that they're in a swimming pool at yale and just like how he was 40 when he did all that and he was 54 when he wrote sunday and 57 with into the woods and i heard that for the first time when i was 12 years old and you know how he had a heart attack in 1979 and we could have missed out on those last two things and everything that came after that and there's just been so much he's had he had the advantage of being mentored by oscar which really one of the things that Mm -hmm. kicked my ass the most was lynn's tweets as far as that he had emailed him just last week and he said that he hoped he had made oscar even partially proud which i think you did all right steve um but you know he had these successes and relatively late ones and they were all part of this kind of puzzle solving thing that has been so prevalent and which a lot of people talked about his love for puzzles and games, but these impossible shows um, that unless you found in the humanity in them, they wouldn't work impossible relationships. Unless you found the undercurrent, he was, he went through hideous abuse from his mother. And now one of his most sought after, or one of the most sought after roles in theater is mama Rose. He never tried to stop making merrily work, which you mentioned the New York theater workshop mm-hmm. production. And I was so drawn to that, and I think we all were and will continue to be, that there's just an answer here somewhere if you solve the riddle that so many other things, uh, you know, so many other things can be true in the world. There can be so much pain, but the fact is that if you sit down with it and try and figure it out, you can make something beautiful. So even the fact if, like, you're not focused on his words and his music right now and you can't touch that and you're grieving in a different way. There's always that fact. Yeah, that's lovely. Well, you mentioned the Patty Lapone interview, which uh, I'll get to, but I do have recommendations. I, they're not necessarily all feel good recommendations because of obviously the situation in which I'm recommending them. Mm. Um, but the Patty Lapone piece is one of two pieces that aired on uh, CBS Sunday morning uh, about Stephen Sondheim. The first one is actually from a CBS journalist who is also a pianist named David Pogue, I believe is how you say his name. And he talks about mm-hmm. his experience of being mentored by Stephen Sondheim. So I have that one in there. Um, then um, a really fun piece actually is uh, the great Elizabeth Vincentelli went to 
um, a couple of piano bars, mm-hmm. um, a- including Marie's Crisis, uh, on Friday or Saturday night. And, and Duplex uh, did something. Brian Nash did as well. the piano, yeah. Yeah, so, and, and basically both of them turned into, like, full-throated Sondheim wakes where they just sang Sondheim songs, um, which was very cool. Um, then, uh, Linda Holmes from NPR, who's the host of Pop Culture Happy Hour, which is a show that I listen to quite regularly, um, went through and just chronicled, like, 10 Sondheim songs that we'll never not be listening to. Um, so that was really, um, some really nice. And then the final one is that Patty Lapone interview, which was actually, mm-hmm. uh, recorded, uh, well over a year ago before the pandemic. Yeah. Um, Patty Lapone was asked to interview Stephen Sondheim, um, f- on the event of company beginning performances on his 90th birthday. Obviously that didn't happen be, uh, or it was supposed to open on his 90th birthday, not begin previews. Mm. Um, that obviously didn't happen because of the pandemic and this therefore never aired. But since uh, he has since passed away, uh, they did decide to uh, to air this. And I know it meant a lot to Patty. She talked a lot about it on social mm-hmm. media over the weekend about how important it was to her. Yeah. Um, what did you what did you take away from that uh, interview other than the fact that Patty really likes laughing at whatever Steve says. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I take a lot of comfort in their relationship, especially for as terribly as she's been treated by so many other composers and theater professionals for them to have had this really unspoken mutual gratitude. There's that point towards the end where she's wanting to say how grateful she is toward him and he won't let her. And as she's starting to cry, it's like, you don't have to say it. It's, it's clear. Um, that's what I gathered from it. It's, it's something that I see every time she talks about him or to him all the way back to that Patty Lapone at Les Mouches album where he's in the audience and she's mm-hmm. just so full of love and all but begging him to be in one of his shows, her to be in one of his shows. And I mean, I saw it at company first preview and in the dedication video the other night. I, I think he saved her quite a bit and it comes off each and every time she talks about him. I mean, it's wild to me that we so associate Patti Lapone with Stephen Sondheim, yet she mm-hmm. never originated a role in any of his shows. She didn't, she didn't perform in one of his shows, at least not in New York until 2006 or 2005 when she played uh, Mrs. Lovett on Broadway. Then a couple years later, um, played Madame Rose. And then, of course, uh, currently playing Joanne and Company. And mm-hmm. she did other things. Um, you know, obviously in London, she did the Carnegie Hall yeah. Company. She also did, I want to say she Candida, did. if we count it too. Yeah, I don't count it. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, she did Candide, obviously, but she also did something at like Ravinia in Chicago yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's did other things, but like the fact that like we think of her as such a Sondheim interpreter and she clearly is, but she never originated a role in one of his shows, which is mind boggling to mm-hmm, me. Definitely. Maybe, maybe if this show with David Ives is actually finished enough to move forward, maybe she, there's we'll a, see. there's a role for her we'll, in that. We'll so. see. Well, everybody, we know that this has been a hard weekend for theater lovers uh, around the world. And no matter what your connection to Sondheim is, whether it is something that you've uh, you've actually worked with him before or been in an audience with him before, like many of us have, um, or you were just somebody who loves the works that he has bequeathed on the world, um, let us know what your thoughts and feelings are about uh, Stephen Sondheim's legacy by finding us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. You can reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt. Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, This Is Ashley. 
All right, everybody, we will get back to a somewhat normal week here tomorrow with a, we imagine, something closer to a traditional today on Broadway on Tuesday. Uh, But until then, uh, take care of yourself, take care of each other, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Finishing a hat. Starting on a hat. Finishing a hat. Look, I made a hat. Never was a hat.